morning, fellowship. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us, whether you're in person or you're watching on, at home on live stream. And my name's Jimmy Cook. I lead worship uh, with Fayette Kids. And we are called to worship this morning by the word of God. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Would you stand with me as we worship our holy God?
Good morning, everybody. Y'all can have a seat. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning. I'm so glad that y'all are here, gathered together as the body of Christ, getting to worship and to celebrate what God is doing in our lives and just celebrate who he is. Uh, so thanks a ton for being here. And those of y'all watching online, thanks a ton for joining us from wherever y'all are at. Uh, here's one thing I would encourage y'all to do as you're watching online. Uh, just in the chat right there to the next Right, right there beside you on your screen, uh, just type in there a way that you've seen God's faithfulness over the last few weeks and just share that with everybody watching online. Y'all, my name is Aaron Parks, and I get to serve here as the Fayette Kids Elementary Team Leader, and I've been here for quite a while, and I'm super excited that next Sunday we are starting Fayette Kids Services again, so we're really, really excited about that. It's almost, almost a year to the day from the last time we had uh, our fake kids services. So we're You're super excited. We're excited. And um, I wanted to tell y'all a story. This week, uh, I was talking with a mom and she was sharing about her five-year-old daughter was at home and had a friend over and they were playing and talking. And um, this friend uh, was just, they were just kind of playing. And this, this girl said, hey, she started talking about Jesus for some reason. And this little other little girl was like, I, wait, who's Jesus? I've never really heard about Jesus. And she said, oh, well, okay, so she just went and grabbed her Bible, and she said, well, let me tell you about him. And she starts telling her about Jesus, and she said, the first story I thought of was when Jesus died on the cross for me. So she opens up her Bible, and she reads the story of Jesus dying on the cross for this other little girl. And she shares Jesus with her. And then she said, well, that's pretty much all I know, so let's go talk to my mom. And so she takes her, and she goes in to start talking with her mom, and she's like, hey, mom, she's never heard about Jesus. I already told her about Jesus on the cross, so can you tell her some more? Uh, <laughs> that's a beautiful picture of why Fayette Kids exists. We're here to help families love Jesus more. And so that gets me so excited to think about a kid sharing Christ with one of her friends. And then knowing, hey, now she needs someone who can teach her a little bit more, so she goes and takes her to her mom. And that's what the body of Christ does, is we come alongside kids and families and we help disciple them in what it means to follow Jesus, in the way of following Jesus. So. All that to say, we're super, super excited that we're starting Fake Kids back next week. A couple of things to know. One is we're gonna work as hard as we can to keep everybody that's down there safe. And so we've got people distanced, people are gonna be wearing, everybody's gonna be wearing masks. Now with that, we're gonna have limited capacity. And so we're gonna try and make space for as many people as we can fit 
in there, but there will be limited capacity. And when a room is full, it's gonna be full. And so, um, and then if it fills up for a few weeks in a row, we'll see if we can figure out some other things to get more and more kids in there. Uh, but just know that that's happening. And here's Mickey. He's got some stuff he wants to tell you about too. This is Mickey. He's a pastor here at Fellowship and he's got some stuff hey, he wants to tell you about. Good to see you, everybody. Yeah. Good to see you, Aaron. I asked Aaron and Gretchen this morning, are you sure you're ready to start back next week? And they said, yes. <laughs> They're ready to go, and I know my wife works uh, with the children up as a volunteer in Rogers, and she was watching her training video yesterday, and so they're doing such a great job of preparing our leaders for uh, what's coming, and as we begin to relax restrictions uh, in our state and around the country, we're going to relax our restrictions here, but I wanted to start by saying thank you to all of you. Uh, for helping us by following, wearing the mask over your mouth and nose when you're here, watching your distance, washing your hands and all those things. And uh, let's, let's kill COVID. Let's, let's get it out of here. Huh? Yeah, let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it so we can get back to normal. A couple of other things I want to thank you for this morning. Just take this opportunity. Number one, thank you. Or what was I talking about first here? Oh, yes, the gift. Thank you for your participation in the gift. Over $565,000 was given to the gift this year. Incredible. Incredible. And so just a few weeks back, our elders spent the weekend uh, going through all the requests that we have, which we get many from all over the world, and we've distributed those gifts to those who requested it, and uh, just thank you so much for, for doing that. Many of those people are in very dangerous places. We can't share wherever, uh, all the places that uh, we were able to help, but they were very, very blessed by it, and I've been getting thank yous uh, from them. And then second of all, thank you for participating in the elder nomination process. We have three new elders, and we'll have a, a commissioning uh, for them. They will start uh, their service in the fall. But we'll have a commissioning very soon. So thank you very much for participating, for your nominations, for affirming the candidates. And uh, we're, we're really thrilled with our three new candidates. And also want to say thank you to John Dyer and Doug Walker. They're from here in Fayetteville, and they've served on the Elder Board for the past six years and did a phenomenal job. So when you see those fellows, tell them thank you for their service because they really spent a lot of time and hard work uh, doing their job well. The last thing is I want to thank you and, uh, for your participation in Fellowship Bentonville. This is where we started with this blank piece of property up there, and this is where we are now. Look familiar to you? Just a little bit like this building. That's where we are now, and this is what the building will look like. Uh, that's a night uh, shot from uh, Highway 49, and uh, Caitlin's got a couple of more she'll roll past there. But I just want to thank you for your participation in helping out with Fellowship Bentonville. You remember what it was like, uh, and you were at this very same spot where we are with Bentonville in May of 2015. You were about a year away, and that's where we are. We're a year away from opening the doors to this building. And as a matter of fact, you guys will celebrate five years here this May. Did you realize that? Awesome. You will have been here five years. We were able to build this project and pay for it in a five-year span, and we're trying to do the same thing with Fellowship Bentonville. And for those of you who aren't here, it was always interesting that the leading region in helping pay for Fellowship Fayetteville was Bentonville. 
they were leading in giving toward helping establish this building. And I encourage you, let's help them get this thing built and paid for uh, in five years. By December of 2022 is when uh, we're going to have it paid for. I'm just determined that that's going to happen. We want it to be debt-free. Thus far, we haven't borrowed a dime for all the construction that we're doing. Uh, We've been able to stay ahead of it because of the generosity of our people. And we thank the Lord for that. So, Aaron, do you have anything else? Nope. Then I think we should pray. Let's do it. Let's pray and worship together, all right? Bow with me. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. You are holy. You are the holy God, greater than all. And that's why we gather online today. That's why we gather in this room is because we set aside time to acknowledge your goodness and your greatness. And so, Father, lead us into your presence. Walk these aisles. Enter the homes. Oh, Lord, we want to worship you, to adore you, and then to follow you in the way we live and work and play. It's in Christ's name we gather in this place. Amen. Sing with me. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. Holy, holy, holy.
forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Confession has been a part of the liturgy of the church, the worship of the church since it began. And it can be part of our daily practice, should be part of our daily practice. As we read in the scriptures just now, as we heard, we're called to confession. And confession is a gift. We maybe, it feels uncomfortable or we're afraid of it, but it's a gift because it reminds us of who we really are. Not who we project to be, not the mask that we wear, not who we pretend to be, but who we really are before God. And it reminds us of how much God has done for us in Christ. That he gave his only son to pay for our sins, each one of them. So I want you to get in a position, whether you're seated or if you, you can take a knee, whatever you feel comfortable, but I want you to examine your heart and I want you to confess to God. So we'll take a minute just in silent confession. confess our Father, we do not live up to our family name. We are more ready than to resent than to forgive, more ready to manipulate than to serve, more ready to fear than to love, more ready to keep our distance than to welcome, more ready to compete than to help. At the root of our behavior is a failure to trust you, a failure to believe that you love us as you do. God, would you forgive us our cold unbelief? Would you make more vivid to us the meaning and depth of your love at the cross? Show us what it costs for you to give up your son so that we might be called your sons and daughters. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our righteousness. Amen. The scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Would you stand and sing with us if you're able?
just your prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Be pleasing to you. May the words of my we would make our words and our meditations and our thoughts and our actions pleasing to you. As we hear from your word today, we ask that you would change our hearts. Make us more like Jesus. Make us more obedient. Make us more trusting. We ask in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see all of you this morning. God is in a perpetual battle with sin. And so are we. We are in a perpetual battle with sin. That thing uh, Martin Luther used to say, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. That thought that's flying over your head of something that you shouldn't say about someone else. You can't keep that thought from flying over your head, but you can keep from taking action. You can't just say zip. Or that thing that you covet and you shouldn't take. That thought may fly over your head, but you can stop it. Stop it before it becomes reality. Because you see, we are in a perpetual battle with sin. That's why we sing songs like, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Because we want to live up to His standard. That's why we say, may the word of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. That's why we sing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. I didn't pick out the songs this morning. Jimmy did that. But he's taken us to this place this morning to remind us of the battle we are in with sin in our lives. Sin literally means, the Greek word means missing the mark. Missing the mark of God's best for us. And so that's what we want to try to stay away from. And in the book of Joshua, throughout the study of Joshua, you are going to see God's war with sin over and over again. Now let's talk about what we've seen in Joshua thus far. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is made the leader of the children of Israel. Moses has died. They're headed toward the promised land. 
In chapter 2, he sends spies into the promised land, especially Jericho, because that's just right next to Gilgal. It's the place where they're going to cross into Jericho, the oldest and lowest city in the world. They get into Jericho, and they're almost caught. And a lady by the name of Rahab, who interestingly enough would become uh, listed in the lineage of Christ, She gives them refuge and spares their lives. And they promise that they will do the same for her when they enter Jericho. They will go back across the Jordan and then the people are gathered there at the water's edge. And the Lord says, I will do amazing things among you. The priests take the Ark of the Covenant, they step into the water, and it piles up in a heap north and south of them. And they walk across that riverbed, that river that was just a few moments ago at flood stage, they walk across that riverbed on dry ground. God did amazing things among them. And then they got to the other side and remember that they stacked memorial stones there so that later when their children asked, what are these stones for, they would be able to tell them of all that God did in their midst. And then they went to Jericho and following the commands of God, they marched around Jericho and the walls did what? They crumbled down. And once again, they saw God do amazing things before them. Except in this instance, there was one among them who didn't do what God said. And that's what we're going to talk about today. They've set their sights on the city of Ai. If you're like me, I grew up saying Ai because that's what it was, but it's I. But why are they taking these cities? Let's go back just a moment and look at the history of Israel. God had promised land, seed, and blessing to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Jacob had 12 sons, one of which was Joseph, his brothers were jealous of him, and so they sold him into slavery. He, was, he finally wound up in Egypt. He was imprisoned for like 14 years there, but through a series of of strange circumstances, he became the prime minister of Egypt. He was Pharaoh's right hand. And there was a famine in the land, and through Joseph's wisdom and God's leading, uh, Egypt was ready for that famine. And, And the children of Israel, Jacob and the whole family came, and they were reunited with Joseph. And so they occupied the land, and they they were fruitful, and they multiplied, and they multiplied, and the Egyptians forgot about Joseph over a period of years, and then they enslaved the Israelites. For 400 years, they cried out to God, save us, save us. And God heard their cries and answered them. He sent Moses, and in 1446 B.C., He delivered them out of Egypt. They watched God do amazing things among them. And he led them out 
as they made their way toward that promised land that, that God had told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about. But they grumbled and they complained and they disobeyed. And finally, God got so tired of it. At one point, he said, I'm just going to bring a plague on all of them. I'm going to kill them all, and I'm going to start over. And Moses begged him not to do that. And so in Numbers 14, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. No one over the age of 20 at the time of the Exodus would enter the land, except Joshua and Caleb, who obeyed God. And when they entered the land under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb... They were to clear and cleanse the land of its, of its inhabitants. Why? Why were they to destroy everything in Jericho? It's because the Canaanites had turned the land had, that God had promised to his people. They had defiled the land and turned it into Sodom and Gomorrah. If you look at Leviticus 18, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You're not going to live like they did in Egypt. You saw their pagan practices there. You're not going to live like that. You can't live like that and be my image bearers. And you're going to Canaan, the land that I prepared for you, the promised land. You're not going to live like the Canaanites. You can't live like that and be my image bearers in the land. Do not follow their practices, he says. And then in Leviticus 18, he lists all their detestable practices. I'm not going to go through those because we've got children watching. It's just that bad. But then in Leviticus 24, he says, do not, uh, 18 and 24, he says, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. Even the land. They abused it so that it was no longer fit to be a gift. God's beautiful gift. If you can imagine the Canaanites and those living in the land and sometimes they're called Amorites as well. If you can imagine the most horrible stain, foul-smelling stain, it's like they had smeared it across the whole land. God's gift to his people. Even the land was defiled, and he said it's not fit to be a gift, so it had to be cleansed. And so he goes on and says, so I punished it for its sin and the land vomited out its inhabitants. That's what it's going to happen. The inhabitants of the land are going to be vomited out. But then he gives them a warning. He says, if you do those things, the land will vomit you out as well. And sure enough, that's what happened. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians came from the north and, and they deported 
those in the northern kingdom and, and in 586 or from 605 to 586 BC, the Babylonians came from the east and they deported the people in the kingdom and they were without their promised land for 70 years after that. And so that is why the land has to be cleared and cleansed. In the early years of fellowship, in 1989, when I got here, we were meeting in a junior high school. And we were growing there. We knew we had to get land of our own because the junior high school wasn't going to work for much longer. After I'd been here a year, we went to two services and, and we were filling that up. And then in June of 1991, we moved into our first building. We started out with two services and very quickly had to go to three services and then four services. We were watching God do amazing things among us. And I can remember those times when Gary Harold and Robert Cup and myself would be sitting in a room. We spent a lot of time together back in those days. And I remember Robert saying, watching all this growth, watching all these amazing things God was doing, saying, I don't want to be the Aiken in the camp. I don't want to be the Aiken in the camp. And we would echo that. None of us wanted to be. We're sinners saved by grace. But none of us wanted to be the one. What did he mean by that? Well, that's where we are in Joshua chapter 7. Let's look at it. First of all, I want to mention Joshua chapter 6 and verse 27. Because at the end of that chapter, it said, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. You remember the Lord told him that he was going to exalt him before all the people. In other words, so that they would see that he had a relationship with Joshua like he had with Moses. Moses was the friend of God. But then in chapter 7, verse 1, the first word is the one I want you to look at. Look at it. But. But. Things are changing. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully, secretly, treacherously is what the word means. In regard to the devoted things, things that were devoted to destruction. Remember in Jericho, everything was supposed to be wiped out. Everything. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, took some of those devoted things that were supposed to be destroyed. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Achan did it. The whole nation is held responsible for it. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. And so the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. He made a grave mistake in underestimating the enemy. So do we. We want to bring this forward to the 21st century. We make a grave mistake when we underestimate Satan's power. When we say, oh, that'll never happen to me, that's when we're most vulnerable. So about 3,000 men went up, verse 4, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. Unthinkable. 
They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. What's wrong? And then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. He fell down on his face before the ark and before God and stayed there until after dark. And the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. Why did they tear their clothes? You ever wonder that? Why, why did they just rip their clothes when something bad happened? Well, they did that because it was signifying their grief and hurt. And after the grief, the grieving time was over, they would mend the clothes. And so they wouldn't toss them and throw them away. They would mend them. And you would see different times in their life where there were scars. Same is true for us. The scars of our lives show the difficult times that we've been through. And so Joshua in verse 7 says, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring the people across the Jordan <laughs> to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Where is his faith? He sounds like the whining people of Israel before Moses back at Kadesh Barnea when they said there are spies, I mean, there are giants in the land. We can't go in there. Where's the faith? And look at the Lord's response. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? I love that. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. And that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. And then note this next line. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy Whatever among you is devoted to destruction. In other words, I will not be with you until you fix this. Until you get this right. I'm not going to win those battles for you, which is what he did. So verse 13, he says, Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart from that which is unholy. In preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That which is devoted among you, O Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. It was a disgraceful act of disobedience before God. Verse 14. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. 
somehow God will indicate which tribe, which clan, which family, which person. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. and It will be dealt with severely. In verse 16, early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward and took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taken. And Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to God, to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done and do not hide it from me. Can you imagine the dread and the weight that fell on Achan at that moment? It reminds me of what it'll be like for every man who will one day stand in judgment before God. That moment when we step forward before the God of heaven. Remember, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day we will all stand in judgment and we will feel that weight. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. And I want you to mark some things here. When I saw, underline that, I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, worth about $2,000 in today's dollars, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, worth about $34,000. So it was a pretty good haul for him. And then mark this word, I coveted, and another one, I took. He saw, he coveted, he took. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Achan admits his guilt, but not until he was caught. Not until he was caught did he admit it. Notice the familiar progressions of sin we see here. We saw it in the Garden of Eden. We saw it with Samson. We saw it, or we'll see it with David and Bathsheba. They saw, they coveted, they took to their own demise. He likely rationalized his sin. I've been in this wilderness for 40 years. I've been wearing the same clothes. Remember, their clothes didn't wear out during that time. I've been wearing the same clothes. Look at this Babylonian robe. Won't it look good on me? And look at all this gold and silver. Think of all the good things that I can do with it for other people. You see, we can rationalize our way to destruction, can't we? Can't we? We can rationalize our way to destruction easily. And that's what he's done. Maybe he thought to himself, no one will ever miss it. 
But look at this. So Joshua sent messengers ahead, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver underneath. And they took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. You see, we think no one will ever miss it. But they brought the things to Joshua and spread them out before the Lord. And it's a reminder for us that nothing is hidden from God. Our lives are laid bare before him. Sometimes we forget that. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And now look at the punishment. The example. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons, his daughters, the cattle, the donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor, which means troubler. By the way, Achan's name means troubler. To the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. And over Achan they heaped a huge pile of rocks, which remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. His wrath has been satisfied. You see, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. When his wrath is satisfied, he turned his face away from the ferocity of his anger. And therefore, that, has, that place has been called the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble, ever since. Then the page turns. The sin has been dealt with. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Those must, those must have been encouraging words to Joshua. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Those were the same words that God spoke to Moses at Kadesh Barnea. Those were the same words that Moses said to Joshua when he passed the mantle of leadership to him. And they were the same words that God spoke after the death of Moses. No doubt it comforted him. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Go up and attack I. For I have delivered it into your hands, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And so Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. And we're not going to go through the strategy, but look at verse 18. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward Ai. And as soon as he did this, the men of the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. In verse 28, so Joshua burned I and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. I was helping lead a seminary chapel at Dallas Seminary one time, and Dr. Eugene Merrill, who's a theologian, a great man, great writer, he came in and he sat down and he had a cold, and he was grumpy. And I said, Dr. Merrill, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I just got back from Israel. I brought a cold back home with me. And he said, we couldn't find I. We couldn't find I. So frustrated on his archaeological dig that he couldn't find I. Well, in 2019, they are pretty sure that they have found the ruins of I. And I'm sure they're doing archaeological digs there right now. Well, then something interesting uh, happens in chapter 8. 
<clears throat> Something very interesting happens. Joshua takes all the Israelites, two million strong, on a pilgrimage to the middle of Israel. Militarily, it makes no sense. But this is something that Moses had commanded, it seems. And so he takes them on this pilgrimage. Verse 30, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. And there in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. Something really interesting happened to me this week. Uh, a guy that I use in Israel, uh, his name is Ronnie Cohen. He had no idea that I was teaching this passage this week. And he sends me an email and he said, look what they've found. And we won't be able to show it online uh, because I don't have permission from the Jerusalem Post to show it. But uh, there it is, they, in this olive grove in Samaria between Ebal and Mount Gerizim is this stack of rocks, and they have never identified it as the possible place where Joshua built this altar on Mount Ebal. We have another close-up picture of it, and you can see the uncut stones stacked up there. So they're disagreeing about it, but they disagree about things all the time over there. Uh, they probably want to build a highway through there, and so they're going to get into it about it. But anyway, that could be the altar that was built. Then all Israel, aliens and citizens alike, now it's not talking about flying saucer aliens. It's talking about foreigners who lived among them. Rahab and her family would have been some of those resident aliens and foreigners among them. All Israel and aliens alike. And by the way, the foreigners that lived among them, they were to follow Israel's laws and the Israelites were to treat them with dignity and respect. With their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord facing those who carried it. Picture the scene. Here they are in the Valley of Shechem between these two mountains. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. It was like a huge amphitheater. They were there to hear Joshua's words as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, Joshua read the books of the law, the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. You see, sin had reared its ugly head among the Israelites, and it was time for them to get their minds right before they went forward. And that's what they did. So how do we take Joshua chapters 37 and 8 and bring it to the 21st century? We've got to be reminded again that we are perpetually at war with sin. All of us. I read this recently in Christianity Today. A lady by the name Jen Wilkin wrote it. 
She said, we instinctively divide our sins into two categories, those that affect our neighbor and those that affect only us. The ancient God of individualism whispers that some sins are just between God and me. If there are consequences, they will impact only me. And this is simply not true. The consistent message of the Bible is this. Personal sin yields collateral suffering without fail. There's no such thing as private sin. It always affects others. Our culture would say that what happened to Achan was unfair. Why did others have to suffer for his mistake? You see, that's the modern worldview, but it's not the biblical worldview. Individualism says, what I do is my business if it's not hurting anybody else. The fact is, it always hurts someone else. I could give you a lot of examples over 40 years of vocational ministry where I've watched that happen. David would tell you that that one night stand with Bathsheba and ultimately killing her husband wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. And as the Lord told him, the sword never left his household for the rest of his life. So let's look at the destructive nature of sin and what happens if we don't deal with it. Number one, missing the mark. Sin is judged harshly by God. Look at Romans 2. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. God takes sin seriously. For the person who says, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, you are inviting God's wrath into your life. I've shared that with people over the years who had that mindset. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I tell them, and I've done this over and over, you're factoring out one thing in this decision. Judgment. One day we will all stand before God. And you'll discover it's not worth it. Number two, sin is unmanageable. You can't manage sin. Achan saw, he coveted, and he took. He could control his desire. His desire controlled him. James 1, 14 and 15, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It will control you and it will destroy you. And that takes us to the third point. Satan, sin is used by Satan to disrupt and destroy lives. His desire is to control and destroy us. Look at 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan will destroy you and everything you hold dear by way of your sin. You know, Achan, when he took those things, he wasn't thinking that he would lose his family. That by taking those few valuables that he would lose everything he owned, including his life. He wasn't thinking about that. And that's what Satan does. He puts a blinder over our eyes so that we can't see it and we march forward. 
like a lamb to the slaughter. And then sin yields collateral suffering. Sin is communal and willful disobedience of one yields collateral suffering within our sphere of influence and beyond. Poor choices yield detrimental consequences for others. And we saw that in Joshua 7, 1, the first scripture of that first chapter. The Israelites acted unfaithfully. Achan took some of the devoted things and the Lord's anger burned against them. The ripple effects of sin in the life of a Christian is, is cast farther than we might imagine. I've just heard some things recently that broke my heart of sin in the life of significant people, and the ripple effects will be significant. And when we do that, when we say, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, you know what we do? We become an adversary of the cross and all that Jesus did there. We cause other people to say, I don't need Christianity. I'm as good as they are. The last thing, sin changes the one who chooses to willfully disobey God. You might say, you know what, I want this so badly, I desire it so badly, I'm just going to do it anyway. And then I'll come back and repent. Well, maybe you will and maybe you won't. Because sin changes you. At that point, you may not even have the desire to come back to God. Sin may change you so drastically. Sin changes us. Paul addressed it in Romans 6 when he said, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he said, By no means. The old King James Version says, God forbid. God forbid that that would be our mindset. Like Robert, none of us want to be the Achan in the camp, do we? We don't want to be the one. But here's the good news. Grace is available. Grace is available. If you found yourself in a bad place, grace is available for you. If we confess our sins, as Jimmy said earlier, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Romans 8.1. I want you to look at it. Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it with me. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those of you at home, say it with us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it with all your heart, with joy. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Grace is available. But sin is crouching at your door. Would you bow with me? I want you to just think for a moment where sin may be crouching at your door because we have an enemy, Satan, who will make sure it always is there. Is it anger? Jealousy? Lust? Addiction? Envy? Bitterness? Greed, lying, stealing, 
adultery, gossip, slander, hypocrisy, dishonesty. Whatever it is, stop it. Don't let it go any further. Confess it now and turn away from it and find God's forgiveness. Let's all go to the valley of Shechem and like the Israelites, consecrate ourselves to God. says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so would you stand with me as we sing about the one who is able to save the one who is able to deal with our sin when we're not the only hope that we have is Jesus Christ
fellowship. I'm so glad that you worshiped with us this morning. I'm so glad that you came in person or online. If you need prayer or you'd like to share a story of God's victory in your life or you'd simply like to take communion, these doors on my left, your right, you can go right out there and up those stairs and you'll find someone who would love to pray with you, love to speak with you. Be blessed this week. Believe that there's no condemnation. Trust Jesus and obey and go in peace.